Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. With Susan Day's rally only hours away, we take you live to Joshua Khan outside the Dairy Civic Center. Thanks, CM. The air feels heavy above the Civic Center tonight. It's as if the high-running emotions are pouring off of everyone as they prepare for Susan Day's arrival. But the most important thing we can keep in mind is... Wait, is that Connie Chung? Hey, Connie! Oh my god, I can finally find out who she thinks would win in a fight between Dan Rather and Tom Brokaw. Uh, CM, I have to go. Something important's come up. Thanks, Josh. I've got Brokaw in the office pool, so I look forward to your findings. You are listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Kahn. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. What up, constant readers? And today we are covering Insomnia Part 3 through Chapter 24. And before I hand it over to Josh, I want to let you guys know that our audio quality is going to be a little different this episode because COVID has struck the studio. We are remote And for the sake of privacy, I'm not going to out the person who has it. It's definitely not me because I always sound this husky and energetic. (laughs) Uh, So many of our reviews online say I love the husky voice of CM Alexander. (laughs) Well, first off, uh, it's, it's sad not to be in studio altogether, guys. But I'm so happy right now to cover the section that we're covering for a multitude of reasons. First, full disclosure, the first two episodes, I don't know if the listeners noticed, you guys definitely noticed, I was struggling a little bit, really keeping my train of thought together and and what was happening. I read House of Leaves finally. I've been reading House of Leaves simultaneously (laughs) with Insomnia. And let me tell you what a weird trip that is. <laughs> the, the reading House of Leaves without your full undivided attention is <laughs> the work of a madman. So I am impressed. Well, thank you. I do. I do appreciate that. I feel better than I, I finished House of Leaves. It's it's in my my past. And now I can put all my attention here where it belongs on Insomnia. So. Let's hit uh, a quick recap, shall we? Ralph Roberts has slept less than two hours a night for the past four months, but he's found out he's not alone. Lois Chass, the sexy Spanish-eyed widow, also suffers from insomnia, and they watched a little bald doctor sentence a dog to death together. Oh, and Susan Day is coming to the Dairy Civic Center, which I'm sure will go off smoothly. <laughs> it's insane that all of that stuff that you just went through took... 300 pages <laughs> <laughs> so much more than that it, it's it's insane that we're this far mm-hmm. into the book and uh we are now getting to plot relevant events that our main characters just kind of stumble into <laughs> it's through true, no man. agency of their own they just the- are like oh man plot's happening now i guess i'm gonna deal with it one full chapter is pretty much just a, a plot dump to be like, oh god, you guys should have known this forever ago. The amount of exposition in this <laughs> section of the book <laughs> is insane. It's tremendous. So I want to get right in because the second half of this reading is so so much cool shit happens. I want to get to it. So let's dive right in. So we jump back in with Ralph and Lois fingering each other in the street. God, I thought it was beautiful. No, nope. <laughs> <Nope>. try again. <laughs> That, that's what happens. They, they from across the street, they point at each other, and the beams of their aura extend out, and and they meet in the middle of the street, and then their beam fingers wrap around each other. It's a, a hauntingly beautiful image. I mean, you, it you was. It. Yeah, it. it definitely used to be hauntingly beautiful. Now it's just haunting. I thought. <laughs> I just thought I made it sexy. <laughs> this is when they notice that they're both looking younger and sexier. Uh, and so they make out in the street for a little bit. Ralph um, is so horny. Nice. <laughs> As a character, I mean, he's just so horny. 
wouldn't you be like imagine 20 yourself 20 years younger and you know getting back into it feeling revitalized well, like you've never felt i would be 14 so <laughs> oh yeah all right that's a good point um, remember how horny you were at 14 though please don't remember that <laughs> <our episode. laughs> the most disturbing thing out of all this though was when ralph notices that his teeth are longer that is f- upsetting <laughs> Also, I don't think that's how that would work. As you get older, no. don't your gums recede? So they should be shorter. Well, I think both. I think, I mean, I think the wear and tear, like, I think your teeth wear down, I guess. Okay, so it evens It would be weird if he was like, he noticed his teeth were exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> but younger, in a younger way. Exactly. <laughs> they they go to Lois's and, uh, and she tells a story about how she sucked off one of her friends on the way home. God. <laughs> CM, I know you're sick, but do you want to leave this episode? <laughs> uh, in my defense, Ben, you are the one who was agreed with me wholeheartedly that that's what this power is. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but the, the, the fact that they notice their friends are noticing, and it gets a little complicated. I do love that there are several points of the book where they purposefully make decisions based on the idea of they can't be seen. Like, they, they know that if anyone they know sees that, yeah. they're gonna flip the fuck out because it's so noticeable how much younger they are. They are having a tender moment where where Ralph is considering tonguing Lois's elbow, and they hear a, a, this loud crash outside. Where's the, the animal violence sting? I, I, there's a line here. It's so far a single sentence that is my favorite part of the book. They describe, they hear the squeal of screeching tires and he describes it as the sound of grief looking for a target. And I love that phrase. That's amazing. That's so beautiful. What is outside though, not so beautiful. Uh, Joe Weiser has hit Rosalie with his car. This, we knew it was going to happen, but it still made me so, so sad. And I love Ralph. It seems like Ralph is remembering the things he experienced in the prologue with Ed because he's watching this happen and Joe's clearly upset and he's stroking Rosalie's fur. And as he's doing it, his hands are disappearing into the death bag aura. And he, he finally remembers, oh yeah, Doran's told me not to touch Ed that he couldn't see my hands anymore. It made it so clear that moment made me geek out. I was very <laughs> excited. I'm I'm so curious. I mean, I know what little bald Doc 3 is doing when he steals Joe's comb from his pocket. Well, wait, were either of you shocked that it was Joe, of all people, that hit Rosalie? What a weird coincidence. Yeah, I didn't remember that. Uh, yeah, I didn't think much of it in the moment. I was just like, yeah, that's that's weird. It wasn't until later on in this segment that Mm -hmm. we're reading today where they go more into it that I decided I'm like, I actually really like this Mm -hmm. because later on, once we are introduced to this cool new concept, uh, Ka, um, (laughs) that Ralph starts thinking about that they're going in circles, that all of these things and events that have happened are just events turning around a single point. And it's like a wheel in a way. And all of these people and players in this story are just being drawn around this event. I think that's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's uh, really And incredible. it's a very convenient excuse for only having like six characters. <laughs> <laughs> they come up with a plan after here that they're going to head to Dairy Home because we talked about last episode that we have Jimmy V and Bob Polhurst are in rooms that are all next to where Caroline passed away also. And so he's like, that can't be a coincidence. We're going to go. And they're going to get answers from Docs 1 and 2. And this is where we have the first, the naming, I guess, is where this is where it starts, where he talks about them like the Fates. I don't know how familiar the two of you were with the Fates, but as soon as this happened, I made a note that I thought was going to be really deep because I wrote about, (laughs) I like wrote down everything thing I remembered about Clotho, Lachesis, and Atropo, and then the book tells you all of it. And I was like, damn it! I was so excited! You gave yourself a pop quiz for no reason? Essentially, yes. 
Can we, because it's been a long time, I think when I first read this, I looked into the mythology a little more, but can we just briefly explain for me and our listeners who may not be familiar the fates with that lore is? Yes, for uh, for any listeners not versed in Greek mythology or any of our listeners that have COVID and have brain fog. Uh, <laughs> in the mythology, the, the fates, the, the three weird sisters, Clotho, Lachesis, and Atropo. Clotho is who spins the thread that is weaved into the tapestry of life. That is like our, our birth and, and our creation and all that we will be exists there. Lachesis is who measures that thread and determines the the trials we will go through the the type of life the kind of the length of the life that we'll have and then atropos cuts the thread at the end atropos being the the agent of death basically all my experience with the fates are from a series of books by piers anthony that i loved in middle school and cannot recommend as an adult because <laughs> piers anthony is a huge creep oh no and the movie hercules oh, yeah. yes and xena warrior they all share princess. an eye and xena warrior princess yeah our characters that represent these three weird sisters are a little bit different though because here we're getting more into random and purpose and kind of good and bad. Mm -hmm. And so Atropos is more of like the the random and he's not, they're not really all united in their work together. So they head to Dairy Home. First question off the top that I have to ask, how did you guys feel about how they got past the front desk woman to the ICU? I want that woman to always be that happy after after <laughs> Lois because she doesn't want to let them up and they need to get a pass to go up there and she's just being a bitch and Lois no Ralph touches her and influences her aura I guess is that how you would describe that yeah it was like he was feeding some of his aura yeah, into like hers to infusing, clear it yeah infusing his not shittiness which <laughs> i would argue i'm not sure ralph has a completely yeah. not shitty aura <laughs> i'm surprised she wasn't like hey lois <laughs> but she she gives in then and you know softens a little bit and doesn't seem angry and stressed out anymore and gives them the pass and i just want to mention briefly because it's it's not super important but it's really sad and kind of a kind of a powerful moment they on the way up through the elevator they run into a woman with a baby and oh i'm so glad you're bringing this up i have some fucking feelings go on oh Sorry. go ahead share your feelings this made me put the book down because of how absolutely fucking disgustingly ableist it is ralph goes into this elevator and there's a woman holding a baby and he sees this baby's aura and it is a full aura. It is not the sickly death bag aura. He mentions how healthy this kid's aura is, but through the magic of uh, emotion, viewing, whatever, he sees that this kid is profoundly brain damaged. And he thinks this kid's aura, he, he's fine because of how healthy his aura is, and he's going to have a long life. But wouldn't it be better if he was just fucking dead? Uh, no. Yeah, that's... No, Ralph, <laughs> fuck you. Once again, Ralph is, is representing what I feel like the common person, their mm -hmm. reaction to different things frequently is. It's, I think when you don't work with individuals who have any type of brain damage or different functioning, like out of ignorance, you're not sure what type of quality of life that person sure. has. And when you when you get to know them, you realize they are people just like we are. They, and they can have emotions and joy and happiness and love and have thoughts, good lives. feelings, friends, yeah, family, sure. yep. a life, dignity, respect, all things that these people fucking deserve. And Ralph's just like, man, he'd probably be uh, mm. fuck you. I, I, I literally <laughs> this part this one part ruined my day. Oh, I had no. to put the oh, book God. down stare pensively out of a window for a while. Like it sucked. I I did <laughs> I did like the way the aura was described. If, if I, I am so sorry, I do have like weird sick. Yeah, brain. yeah, no, no, please. But it, it was like 
had flashes throughout it or something. The baby was shaken Mm -hmm. by the father who is abusive, which is also kind of another theme that we've seen, which is really interesting too. But just the way it was almost described like a chaotic aura, healthy but chaotic. I just thought that was really fascinating. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. It made me sick because baby violence. But it it was interesting that King has cir- like circled back to give us another of that theme of domestic violence is a protected family secret because that's what he's sensing in her. And that, yeah, it, so it, it, there was a, it's so weird because it's a scene that does not mean anything to the plot. Mm-hmm. But man, does it really reground you in the stakes of mm-hmm. where we're at. So we get up to the ICU and Ralph is being confronted with all these memories of when he was with Caroline and you know him being there when she died and and just how miserable being in the space feels. And Lois is the one who pulls him out of these bad memories because she spots the glowing footprints that have been the the cue they've been following. And they run into Ralph McGovern and a friend who walk out of a room and do not see him. But Ralph and Lois certainly see that they are too late to help Bill because the string over his head has been cut. All of this surprised me. It's I, I a lot of wildness. Yeah, I didn't realize that they were... They had moved up through a different level and were not able to be seen because I forgot that was a thing, too. And I was like, oh, (laughs) they're on a different level. Awesome. And when Lois just reacts, like, without thinking, just is is seeing her friend who is very sick and wants to warn him and help him and runs up to him. And Ralph is, like, yelling after her not to do it. And the tension that I felt... When she grabbed him, when she put her hands into his aura and it went into her and then she was just completely losing her shit. That shit that's straight out of a horror movie. Just like yes. the, these black things chewing on your aura, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's so great because they don't tell you that they've gone to a different level of existence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they just they let you be like, yeah, why can't anybody fucking see what's going on? It's <laughs> a pure chaos. The auras being, there being a aspect of them that's living and animal, too, in many ways, which we're way more of. I love that. Yes, it is. I think with this book, as kind of hard as it is to get into and stick with, it's these elements that are so fascinating and creative that keep yeah. you here. There are ideas in this book that I I wish were what the whole book was. There's this moment, I don't know if it's this point, we might have passed it because it's right when they enter into the like the lobby and they first go up and they are seeing like they describe this big funnel-shaped entity. Mm-hmm. A completely unhumanoid, but just this big glowing blob that's just there. That's just going down the stairs. Yeah, yeah. And Ralph's like, uh, that's crazy. But he has this moment where he says, despite the fact that he can see these things and he knows they're everywhere, he still got the idea that humans were on top. (laughs) What an insanely egotistical thing. That's Ralph, Why would you ever think that? Uh, Because you're Ralph. If I immediately went and I saw alien energy beings i'd be like i'm basically an ant i I can't even comprehend what i'm looking at but i'm gonna look at it and be like i could beat that thing in a fight no (laughs) that thing doesn't look like it could take a punch we you know ralph is the the old version of ben richards if he'd lived in normal times (laughs) (laughs) that's perfect actually we we also i don't think we brought this up and i think it was in in the last section we covered ralph had seen an aura thing that was taking flight it was like the shape of some prehistoric bird yeah and something about that reminded me of the shining at the end when the thing flies out the hotel window oh the big uh stingray Mm -hmm. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I, I mean, that's <laughs> like... what <laughs> made us all just sit with it. Yeah. yeah. Was like, huh. I'll find a tenuous I lo- connection anywhere. <laughs> I, I lo- yeah, I love that. 
Uh, I, the idea that they propose here when Ralph walks through the one guy's aura and instantly knows everything about him, including the dreams he had in the womb. Yeah. What? <laughs> oh, fuck. All right. Uh, so they end up following these footsteps into Jimmy's room where Faye Chapin is sitting there reading a book and Doc 1 and 2 are there. And they just, this is not how I expected this meeting to go in any way, shape or form. Because they walk in and they're like, hi, guys. Yeah, these two dudes, or I, I don't know if you'd call them, I guess they're sexless. Mm. These two doctors <laughs> <laughs> are nothing like anything I expected ever. They gladly accept the names Clotho and Lachesis because Ralph, they know Ralph has already described them as such and they think it's easier. And I love that the docs ask them their name. Los is like, you guys know our names. And they're like, yeah, but... We like taking part in some short-time politeness while we're here. It's <laughs> just ridiculous. They are taking a small amount of delight in the, like, novelty mm. of talking to these creatures that are so far below them in the <laughs> cosmic sphere. I, I do find these two extremely interesting. They're like, for some reason, they they remind me of fucking comic book characters. Like... They they remind yeah. me of some like the Watchers from Marvel. Yeah. For some reason, I got really hung up on the fact that when Jimmy sees Ralph, no nobody else can see him, but he starts talking to him. He's like, "Hey, Ralph Roberts yeah. is here. That's so awesome, man." I was really upset that people might not know that Ralph did technically visit his dying friend. Right. I don't know why my brain was just like. Oh man, I hope he can explain that later. Like I would be like, I, I was there, you just didn't see me. Yeah, I was on a different plane of existence. <laughs> Mortals are only on the top on the on the, the bottom two layers. I was on the third. Not a big deal. So before they can get any answers out of the docs, it's time for Jimmy to die. And the compassion and peacefulness that Clotho and Lachesis take with Jimmy's passing, another thing that completely shocked me. How about you guys? I I love there's a moment uh, Ralph is thinking back on it because this guy, he's he kind of wakes up and looks through all the people in the room to Ralph and Lois and recognizes Ralph and just has this. Hey, buddy, <laughs> like, it's good to see you. Remember when all, all the old good times and Ralph was like, yeah, man, for sure. <laughs> and then the guy dies and it's just this moment and ralph reflects on it i think as they're leaving he he thinks his friend would have been happy with the way he went out the yeah. the, the dignity of just quietly letting go and that got me mm -hmm. i was like i we should all be so lucky yeah. you know the idea dying is a scary thing but the idea of in that moment there are two beings of a higher power literally like holding you as you carry off into another life like that's pretty it's pretty powerful imagery they should build a religion off things like that this is <laughs> so i'm i'm watching sandman as we're reading this yeah and there's a lot that kind of connects to this too a, a lot of similarities which is really cool with like death and sleeping and dreaming and stuff I don't have a point for bringing that up. I just wanted to sound cool. You just, you <laughs> to play. Okay. I need to watch Bra it. Brag, you have Netflix. Uh-huh. <laughs> they, they move over to Bob's room, and that's when Lois asks if they can do anything to help Bill, but they know it's too late. Ralph manages to blink himself between levels of reality, which is insane, and an ability he somehow, he basically perfects before the end of our reading. Mm -hmm. And we, uh, we take a trip to the roof. They join hands, everybody rises through the ceiling, and they are on the roof, and they are on this even higher level of existence. And we cover a lot of exposition dumping in this. So if you guys don't mind, I'm going to run through the laundry list of things we learn, and then we can talk about any of them that really jumped out to us that we want to dive more into. Does that sound Perfect, good? Knock yeah. them out. All right, Clotho and Lachesis tell us there are four constants in our level of existence. Life, death, the purpose, and the random. They are agents of the purpose. Atropo is an agent of the random. Auras serve like clocks to them for how long our life will go. Uh, life being a mix of the purpose and the random. 
on this level, time goes very quickly. So they see sun rising, sun setting around them. 18 hours have passed so far in this conversation of what I just explained. They explain how Atropos cuts cords and takes souvenirs. They offhandedly refer to Bill as the late Mr. McGovern, which that's a real bummer. Crazy. We find out that in the time they've been up on the roof, Bill died leaving the hospital, had a heart attack in the entryway. And they get to see it firsthand, which is also horrifying. Ralph tries to leave this conversation briefly because of all of this craziness, because seeing that death is too much. And he sees fear on their face when he blinks down a level, which I thought was real interesting. But I like that they they're like they come back down and they're like, uh, come on, come on, man. Be cool. And he's like, oh, all right, <laughs> comes back up. And this is when we find out the most important thing. Atropos has severed the life cord of Ed Deepno, someone he should not have done. The consequences will cause trouble on all levels of the tower, and Ralph even gets a vision of the tower in a field of roses. The offset of the balance between the purpose and the random will be all thrown off if this happens. Only short-timers can stop Atropos. So something happened to Ed. His cord was cut, but he must have been someone connected to what they they call it like a master cord because his life has to impact something important so the fact that he's stayed he's stayed alive more than a, a year after having his balloon string cut which is it just shows something is taking care of him something needs him to do something for Ka. We find out that beyond short timers and long timers there are all timers and some all-timer has taken an interest in Ed. And so that counterforce is what's called upon Lois and Ralph. They were given insomnia by these two doctors so they could adjust their ability to go to different existences. And giving them insomnia was a side effect of all of that. And <laughs> like that he's like, you might have driven us crazy. And they're like, nah, man, you were... Not even close to crazy. <laughs> but when Atropo cut Ed's cord, he immediately fell under the Crimson King's influence. And it is very clear that these two docs are horrified of the Crimson King. So the docs say, you have to do something to stop this. You can't go up against Ed and Atropo one-on-one. -on -one. The forces of the Crimson King will make them too powerful to stop. Besides, Ed's not in dare anymore. Probably not important. Don't think about it. <laughs> Ralph has always been a part of the purpose, but Lachesis altered his Ka to give him that soul-sucking ability. This is something that sets their mind at ease because we find out the soul-sucking is not hurting anybody. That's what they were really concerned about, the, the vampirism making mm -hmm. them the centurions that Ed warned them about. But they say drinking their aura is taking a cup out of the ocean. It's so limitless they cannot do any harm. And but, and it, it's not just that, because Ralph and Lois are like, oh my god, the ocean? The, the, that's all the aura in the world? We have an ocean's worth? And they laugh at them. <laughs> and they're like, no, that's how much is inside you. This is inside yeah. anyone. <laughs> everyone. Everyone has an infinite supply of this life force. Very cool. And before they return down to the the short time world, they are shown a massive death bag, a blotch across the sky right above the Dairy Civic Center, where more than 2000 people will be tonight. And Ed means to kill them all. That death bag means that the plans are in place. Everything is in motion and it will happen unless someone stops it. Also, we find out that the Dairy Civic Center was designed by Ben Hanscom. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Before, okay, there are two things I, I want to talk about. One mm. is Ralph and Lois is a laughable, apparently, idea. But the first one, I got really fixated on when we learn all of this is the Ed part of it. Because Josh, I remember in our first episode, you had commented that as you were being introduced to Ed, you kind of had this question in your mind is Ed a victim? Did something happen to him? Right. And so I was thinking about that. I was like, is that why Ed is doing all of this? But correct me, guys, if I'm wrong. I think the book told us that he was abusing his wife before the time that his cord, it seems like his cord I, was cut. I believe so. I, I'm not sure. I know that 
I think all we've given we've been given is what uh, is the he didn't stop this time. I think that's the only implication of the length of time that we just know what's happened before. I don't know if there if we've been given a timeline. I I thought he said something about seeing bruises on her before Natalie was born, but anyway, oh, that I, could be. Yeah, I, yeah, I just thought that I, was, I do believe that's correct. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was interesting because I I wanted to know how much of what Atropos did to him made him what he is or if that was maybe kind of what he was already capable of and then this just unleashed everything negative in him yeah and then the other thing i just thought was cute i guess is the word i'll use is when ralph's like all right all we got to do is just call in a bomb threat problem solved holy shit and (laughs) the the doctors look so upset and they're basically like (laughs) it's so stupid who does that well, they're like, oh, you guys, sorry, it's just weird to us because on one hand, you seem so wise and like intelligent creatures, and on the other hand, you're so fucking stupid. What are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, over two dozen bomb threats have already been called in, guys. Not gonna happen. <laughs> uh, Ben, anything in that info dump that really jumped out to you? It's, I think, because this is, I believe. I've been reading this book, and, uh, you know, I remember since the start of the podcast, this has been on my list of things I've been excited to reread, because I remember reading it in high school, loving it so much, and I honestly, up to this point, could not tell you why. (laughs) I I am, like, lost. I'm like, I really remember loving this book and i think this fucking exposition dump might be the entire reason for it because the lore the 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 implications in the dark tower lore Mm -hmm. it's it's candy it's it's a fresh air i i need it and especially like this overarching idea of the all-timers the concept of order and chaos as entities warring at each other and controlling our lives especially later on in the book ralph goes into this where he feels very in a very real sense that his life is completely not his to control because there are these beings of such immense unknowable power that it is just beyond our even our comprehension that all fascinates me and that is not what this fucking book is about (laughs) it's just they're like hey here's a bunch of really cool ideas think about it too much for 20 years it's like (laughs) it's like the talisman i was just about to say that yeah Yeah, there there are bits in both of these books that elevate the book as a whole but uh, otherwise getting to those points just the way it's written again I, I kept thinking it's because we just came off the shining so it's hard for me but no i i think this and the talisman and i think there are a few others that i i can't recall off the top of my head in this sort of era of his writing it, it's a very distinct king style that he had for that yeah. time it's like it, it reminds me of uh, like you said talisman in that I remember coming into The Talisman being like, I'm so excited to read this. I loved this book and having the same problem as Ben being like, why? (laughs) Until I remembered that it's because it is an epic. It is one of those things that it it takes its time so much at the front. So that way, when you get to where the main story really kicks off over halfway through, you feel the length of the journey. You feel the exhaustion, you feel the attachment to these people because you know the mundane things, you know the day-to-day things they've been through, you know who they are. And it's what really worked for me in The Talisman, it's what's really working for me now because I am all in after this section, (laughs) and it's what didn't work for me in Dead Zone. So, across that board there. Yeah. They get back down and they check out a newscast. Dan Dalton has now taken over the Friends of Life and they are leading a demonstration with the other anti-choice organizations and publicly distancing themselves from the four terrorists that we talked about earlier. They drop a delightful pamphlet that says if you have a gun with two bullets in a room with Hitler, Stalin, and an abortionist, what do you do? Shoot the abortionist twice. Yeah. Who, oh who, who could have guessed that a anti-abortion movement would drop some severely anti-semitic bullshit crazy 
Lois kill and Hitler, Ra- y'all. <laughs> right, <laughs> twice. Lois and Ralph head to Women Care after a quick chat with Trigger, who we will return to. And uh, we have an interaction with the receptionist, Barbara, at Women Care, who gives them directions to High Ridge, thanks to Lois using her power on her and being a woman. Yeah. I get it, though, because that comes up Absolutely. again. And mm-hmm. I get that there, too. And I think it's it's sad because it's almost the way Ralph describes it. He Coming from Ralph, who has had some problems, it seems to be a unfair criticism. I'll just say for lack mm-hmm. of my brain being able to conjure up a better explanation for it. it and it seems unfair and unkind, mm-hmm. but it is something it, that I think happens. He it, says it like, uh, because it, instead of being like, they should be more careful because there is a woman with these fucking terrorists and they need to be aware of that so that they can be safe. Mm -hmm. Instead, the way he like words it to himself, he's like, Hey, women can hurt people too. It is. It's so like (laughs) defensive. It's what sucks. It's so funny because Ben, we read the same thing. And the interpretation I took away was that first interpretation of don't they know there is a dangerous woman out here also? Yeah, it's a little bit of that. But I don't know. He he just has this very like... Curmudgeon-y it sounds way of very not all men. No, the, yes. you know? the, the defensive, yeah, the defensiveness, Ben. I think is a word I was trying to bring up. It sounds like Ralph would wear a T-shirt that says "Men's Lives Matter Too." <laughs> oh, and, no. and not, yeah. and not and understand not why that's yeah, a shitty thing get to why. do. Yeah, yeah, yes. go on long rants about misandry. fun fact that we get in the section uh rachel anderson the janitor her husband disappeared in the dairy flood Mm. it's not out and out mentioned but it drops the specific uh eight years ago and then later it says eight years ago the was when the flood was just thought that was fun not a big loss there because no he was a real piece of shit (laughs) before they head out uh, they they get the address or they get directions and they move on and trigger runs out after them and catches them because they were talking about ed a little bit when they left the parking garage and trigger is like i wanted to tell you something i've been wanting to i completely forgot when we saw ed that day he had that scarf with the red design on it we all just assumed it was a Chinese character for something. No, now I remember it's Japanese for kamikaze. So this book was, came out in 1999. It, it is important to note. <laughs> Nine, I think it's 99. Yeah, let's all keep, keep that in mind. <laughs> right. Was it, okay, was it just me or Ralph and Lois still haven't put all this together, right? Right. <laughs> Well, that's why they go to breakfast that and they haven't eaten in 20 some hours and they look 20 years younger. So they go to an out of the way diner to like really talk all this stuff out. That scene seems brutally long and all it did was cause me uh-huh. massive amounts of anxiety. Cause I'm like, I have, well, why been, aren't you doing something? Well, exactly. And, and I've been in that situation where you're like, holy shit, I need to do this thing like as soon as I can, but I have to eat or I'll be useless to everything. There mm. are, f- I I've eaten faster than what they <laughs> clearly do. They order like everything in the kitchen. Can't they just suck off some aura and not be hungry? Also, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the whole thing. Their powers are just the most whenever it's convenient thing <laughs> in the like world. Like all powers. Because <laughs> it, there are so many times when you're like, they should just suck someone off and not waste an hour at a diner. Can't they suck each uh, other off? And the, the <laughs> thing with the, with the time speeding up. Wait, would that work? They, if they, if no, each of them so. have an ocean of aura, that's true. Why can't they suck each other off? But they're not. But powered, well, if but they both have an up. ocean of aura, why do they need uh, more aura? Because if it's infinite, so the book can happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but anyway, like the, the time speeding up and slowing down, they're constantly like, we can't go too high up on the levels of the tower, or else time will speed up and we'll waste all our time. Except for all the times that they do because they need to. Uh, it, yeah. it's, it is annoying. <laughs> See, that's that's the only interesting thing out of this scene is when they're talking about the wise is saying like, 
it felt like after the fact that that Clotho and Lachesis timed it out so they wouldn't have time to answer any questions because they were like, well, uh, we're too short on time. We better head down. And I just like that the bit of lore that's added here is Ralph's instinct that, oh, maybe it's because they can't lie. So they didn't want to give us an opportunity to ask them something they didn't want to answer but couldn't not answer truthfully. And I thought that was pretty neat. Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that, doesn't that go with the fates sort of how they don't they speak in riddles like you won't get a straight answer from them so maybe this is just king's interpretation of how they are not going to give ralph and lois a straight answer but it's going to be because of this time passing issue yeah and a lot of the the rest of this conversation is a lot of why us which fair enough valid questions Mm -hmm. weird choices for heroes (laughs) uh but here we kind of find out why it's them i think uh, let's head to High Ridge. Uh, what do you, do you, who wants to take us through the assault on High Ridge? Did not remember any of this scene at all. So I was just totally surprised. I was, it I was just carried away with it moment by moment. They are pulling up and what they pull up into is a sort of like Jonestown style standoff. The police have the place surrounded we find out that the most of the women are trapped in the cellar, I believe, mm-hmm. and it is locked. Mm-hmm. And crazy uh, Charlie, right? Charlie Pickering yep. is yeah. is inside and he is taking shots at cops. We see Lidecker and Chris Nell, uh, are Mr. Nell's grandson? I think so. I or think that's what they said. Yeah, some relation. And Ralph and Lois kind of go up so that they can get inside unseen. And this broke my heart because when they get inside of this home, they immediately see two dead women, one of whom is like eight months pregnant. Yeah. And the other is Gretchen, our friend Gretchen. I, I, I thought I should have been surprised that Gretchen <laughs> wasn't going to make it. But I, I was shocked at first. And then after it finishes this after the effects of what this is going to do mm-hmm. happens, I was like, oh, yeah, it makes perfect sense. This was the only way. There, There's one part of this that really upsets me, and maybe it just means that I'm kind of a piece of shit. So I'm, I'm curious what you guys think. And it is, so Ralph and Lois also see Charlie, and he has earplugs in, and he's shooting at the police. And Ralph hits him with a, a bottle. He has like Molotov cocktails in his bag. And he drops his gun and Ralph, I think, is going to kill him. And Lois is like, don't kill him. That makes (laughs) us just as bad as he is. Don't kill him. Yeah, don't kill him, man. (laughs) I think what he did is way worse. I well, and that happened accidentally. He didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, he, yeah. he relented. He's like, okay, <laughs> okay, fine. I won't kill him. But then that gives. I, I do think. <laughs> I do agree with uh, well, both of you. I think, um, but uh, that I agree with Josh that it, it is messed up. That he's like, okay, I won't kill him, and then immediately just. By the side of the face. Fucking, like, blanks his hard drive. Like, oh, so cool. completely wipes the guy. He does it as a reaction, yeah. l- like a self-defense thing, like, though. Imagine having your soul ripped up out of your body up to a level of existence you can't comprehend and then just being left there. <laughs> and then... <laughs> With no way back to your body, with no understanding. What sort of cosmic hell is Charlie Pickering living in now? Uh, So after they take out Pickering, they drop through the floor, because in the cellar is where all the the women and children are, and they go to Helen, who tells them that the, the woman that we'd mentioned last episode, who, man, I thought when they gave all four of these people characteristics and names, I thought we would get the, the elimination of each one. But by the time they get there, uh, Frank, I think was one of their names. And then the lady with them are both dead. They passed their bodies shot dead uh, by the police. The woman got the address. They drove in all the way to the back. Like they belonged. And this is getting a little ahead. We find this out later. And that's how they took them by surprise and got them down there, locked them in. 
So uh, they know they're locked in the basement. Lois psychic blasts a lock into twisted metal Mm -hmm. so that Ralph can push the door open and they escape. And in such a smart move running behind the house because the police are just still shooting out front. And there's a kid named Pat, who uh, who's the only one who seems to have noticed Ralph, Joe, and Lois jumping between levels of existence. And he calls them angels. And yeah. I thought it was wonderful. We, we met Pat earlier. Yeah! yeah! Pat was who they saw, who Ralph saw outside the pharmacy after meeting Joe, right? He saw in the Pat park, I believe. And the mom was thinking about how she didn't want to go home yet because yes. his dad was probably drunk. That he'd been drinking, he'd started drinking again. Yeah. Okay. I did get it right. All right. <laughs> and the, they rescue everybody, they get out back and that's when they have this conversation. They came here for the sole purpose of getting them to cancel the Susan Day rally so that those people won't die. And Helen's response is if they stop us now, they win. Yep, I get it. I think that is that would never happen. I think <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. in this day and age, no. No, that would never happen. But I get the sentiment. This is frustrating for me because I, I feel like Helen's reaction was written that way to support Ralph mm-hmm. in, in his thoughts because I could definitely see them wanting to continue on to pay respect to the people who lost their lives for this. Like, being torn between that decision well you know we we want to continue because we don't want what happened to be for nothing but i feel like it would be made more of a a respectful sort of memorial type thing like remember these women who died for this cause for this moment that we're here right now they lost their lives for this and that would be the focus i don't think maybe in the heat of the moment for helen it would be because she nearly died and you'd be pissed but i don't think she would be as petty sounding yeah it 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 supports this idea that king seems to have and has been using the book like several characters in this book to speak about that like oh both sides are just as bad the the pro life or the pro choice people are uh look how completely unreasonable they are they don't care about people's safety which is um nonsense uh it, it's it's not the way care people uh behave in the real world i'm i'm still and, trying right, to make but, up but political this- caricatures but isn't this the example of what we've been talking about the whole time of the being right being more important like is is this i'm not i'm not i'm fully agree with you that this is not how this would play out in real life especially in this day and age but i wonder if that's the aim of this is to remind us of the it it doesn't matter what happens it matters about being right i'm still trying to figure out if that is king's message or if and i guess i'll know by the end of the book If that is the journey that we're on and we are supposed to be frustrated and disbelieving of it, and he's using that as a tool because that is a very real thing that happens. Just based on what he is outspoken about, I feel like, or maybe his opinions have changed since he wrote this. That could be too. So So I think he's challenging us, but I could be wrong and I guess we'll see. So far, I think the message, and I will know by the end of the book, probably, the message I'm getting so far is that if you refuse to listen, you're only going to hurt, is essentially like what I'm getting out of this is not super eloquent, sure. So they they start shouting for the police to cease fire. Ralph actually calls out Lidecker's name, and he's like, who, who the fuck's there? <laughs> They don't answer. They don't say it's them. And they, the the women and children head out. And as they go around front, Ralph wants to stop Helen and try to talk some sense into her. But Dorrance Marsteller shows up and calls out Ralph and Lois. Dorrance is here, guys, with his rainbow aura. Does anybody? So cool. What? I, I don't know, but I love it. He he's He's not human he's something else right? it has to be it has we to are be definitely gonna learn he's a weird multi-dimensional alien or something by the end of just the- in human it's skin so yeah. cool and i look because not only dorance uh, and he, they're like dorance what are you doing here and he's like i fucking hate answering questions it's <laughs> the worst and i don't do it and 
they try to move to another level and Dorrance is like, no, get back down. And he like pulls them. Like, so he can move people to levels of existence. This is, uh, this is madness, Dorrance. <laughs> he leads them on this like hike through the woods to a gravel pit with a car waiting. And who is the driver? Joe Weiser. Yay. This was totally yes. unexpected. I think it is so fucking funny that joe weiser shows up as the driver and when they're like hey joe why are you here he's like i'll fucking know and then they he <laughs> drives them where they need to go and they're like okay bye and he's like sure i guess yeah. and then leaves and then doran they're like Dorrance whispers, go pick up a comb or something. <laughs> Don't forget my comb. Yeah. Is that why Dorrance pulled Joe into this? Because Atropos kind of made him a hmm. part of it. So he he was a an appropriate tool to use in this instance. That's kind of what my mind read it as. Like if they if he hadn't pocketed that comb, it, it wouldn't have been Joe. Joe wouldn't have been involved. But he's part of it. Yeah, I like that. Fair enough. They pile in, into Joe's car and they head back to Derry. That's when Dorrance tells them, you know, stay low as long as you can because you will you need to save time because you will need it later. And that's as much information as he's willing to give them. I also like how he's like, you guys thought that those two doctors were like all knowing and they're like, oh, now that we think about it, they did <laughs> seem kind of like low men on the totem pole. <laughs> right. Uh, Dorrance tells them that they've been brought together by the purpose, making them a katet, one of many. That made me so happy to read katet. Yeah. From here, we head to the Dairy Civic Center. Uh, so they arrive at the Civic Center, and the rally is still happening. And as you mentioned, Ben Weiser kind of just drops them off and leaves. But it's not because he wants to. It's because Dorrance told him beforehand that he is unequipped. Mm -hmm. for what needs to happen so he can't stay and joe is like all right i'm gonna trust this magic old man <laughs> all right i don't know if i'm being stupid i'm a but i'm pretty sure i'm not or maybe i'm being stupid that i thought this was a reveal and it actually isn't the one thing like dorance is talking to them about giving him like the last bit of info before he leaves and he points out that the docs sent them to High Ridge for the wrong reason, because the reason they sent them was to stop the rally, and that failed. So they've been like, why did they send us there if they knew it would fail? So they were sent to High Ridge for the wrong reasons, but the purpose sent them there for the right one. And I was very confused, and I I know, I know what it is now. A am I stupid because I didn't know what it was at first? Do you guys both know immediately, knew immediately what it was? No, Josh, I think that's very subtle, honestly. Perfect. Yeah, no, I, I do not think you are supposed to know that. Well, oh, okay. Uh, well, Perfect. and, and All this right. was written so far, bef that's so true. long before that, that, yeah, even King might not have known that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we are at the Civic Center, and the black aura is hanging over everything. It's overwhelming. They're under this umbrella. What did you guys think about how they describe walking through the death bag and how that feels? This is, this whole part is so unbelievably disgusting to me <laughs> that it made, it just made me uncomfortable and made my stomach turn every time I went back over it. Look, it's I'm so not great. a big fan of Connie Chung either. <laughs> I feel like you're being a little dramatic, CM. Oh my god! No, because they when when they're in here, like everybody is feeling the oppression of the death bag, and of course they don't know that, but people are kind of rubbing their temples as if they have a headache or they're having a hard time thinking, and and it answers the question that Ralph had, kind of of like, hey, what would it look like if you were observing a war, or some huge event, or even something where people aren't dying, but just a lot of people are gathered and there's a lot of energy. But what freaked me out, again, this is where we really get a lot of the idea that its auras are not just a part of human beings. They are their own living entities uh, on, on a plane that we can't perceive. And some of them are uh, awful bugs. Oh my god, they're horrifying creatures. This is super like revival vibes for me. 
Uh, see, the the bugs are scary, but just the feeling they describe this this death bag walking among it and like feeling it press on them. Mm-hmm. They can feel them breathing in it, and they they say it's like a what a jellyfish almost. Right? Yeah. yeah, like it's it or is that feels... just how my brain can <laughs> like conceived of it? I think they say like it feels mucusy. <laughs> Yeah, it, it grosses me out in such a, a real way. Didn't it gross um, you out when a bug crawled into somebody's mouth while they were talking? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's raw. <laughs> and I, I also love that this is like we're seeing now a physical manifestation of an idea that King has put in a ton of books we have covered. This is the evil aura over the Marston house. Mm -hmm. This is the, the just like any place that is, has a tangible dread to it. Mm -hmm. Now we have this idea of this massive creature, almost just looming. And I really cool. I think that that right there, what you just described, Ben is why once you as a King reader, have read this book it it never really leaves you like it it makes its mark an impression on you that influences how you take in everything else he writes even stuff that happened before this you're relating it to those concepts which again is why like uh, is it written as well as some other things no but is it an important work you know in all of the king books and is it and is it worth reading absolutely yeah i agree I agree with that. Going back to this scene, though, mm-hmm. uh, all, all of the like the death bag stuff, pretty cool. Lore, once again, great. But I could not help but find this whole scene kind of funny. Maybe it's just me. But it's, I'm not surprised I, if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's what it is, is we're, you know, we are seeing what they are seeing. Mm-hmm. But I could not help but think of their actions throughout this scene through the perspective <laughs> of anyone in the crowded parking lot they are wincing and like screaming through. Yeah. They are, they are clinging to each other <laughs> as though they are terrified and like shuffle-stepping. <laughs> through this crowded civic center parking lot. Yeah, uh, Lois is constantly hitching up her clothes <laughs> yeah. because they're falling off of her and intermittently yelling. Like it is, I could not think of, help but think of being in that parking lot and being like, what is wrong with those two people? Do I need to check on them? Do they need help? Ralph even mentions, he's like, Lois, I think we need to act cash. Because people are looking at us. Yeah, and then they proceed to, like, glare at people. And they they physically approach the most high-profile person there, being Connie Chung. (laughs) (laughs) Master of subtlety. So after they they have that talk, uh, they they chug some Chung. (laughs) And Ralph... You're nailing it, man. (laughs) Thank you. And Ralph ascends as high as he dares, because he knows time will speed up. And he just needs to find evidence, and he does. He sees a residue of Atropo, and they follow it. They leave the Civic Center. That grossed me out. It's so disgusting. I did really like that. Because he says it's like, what does he call it? He's like, it looks like the vomit of a sick dog or something (laughs) like that. It's like a dog is dying, and it threw up everywhere, and we're going to follow that. (laughs) Yeah. That's the plot of that's the plot of a Beavis and Butthead episode, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> uh, they leave the Civic Center and uh, take a breather before heading to Kneebolt Street following Atchpro's tracks. They suck off a hobo together <laughs> and they follow the tracks for a half an hour, but they are walking on a higher level of the tracks. And that's when Ralph said something that changed my life. And it's he said that it's almost like we're dim. Which means yeah. this is what Flag sees. This is how Flag sees the world, guys. <laughs> With his stanky old wizard eyes. It's so fucking cool. And it makes so much sense how uh, one point we skipped over it a little bit. But in back in the hospital, Ralph talks about when he's on that higher level, he can see 
not just the walls, but he can see the electrical wires through the walls. He can see and hear so much detail. And it just, it brought a lot of flag Mm-hmm. into perspective for me in such a cool way. It made me so happy. Of course, Flag is sucking people off. We're not surprised <laughs> by that. They feel like they're closing in on the lair, and that's when they realize they have made it back to near the airport, close to where Ed and that truck driver had it out in our prologue. And where we leave off our reading, Ralph and Lois are standing outside Atropos Lair, which is a tree that has been struck by lightning outside the airport and they they stand outside it prepared to go in and that's where we leave them that is it for this episode of dairy public radio as always thank you for listening join us next time where we will be finishing the book for joshua khan and benjamin graham i'm cm alexander reminding you trying to help other people is never stupid Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to Insomnia Part 3. We hope you enjoyed it. And thank you again to our new supporter of the show, SKL Stephen King Lovers. Don't forget to visit our friends at Stephen King Lovers SKL, the largest Stephen King fan group on Facebook. They are the friendliest and the most informative, interactive, and fun Stephen King fan group around. So join them on Facebook for in-depth conversations giveaways, and general nerding out with fellow King fans. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dairy Public Radio and on Twitter at Dairy Public. You can also send us an email at dairypublicradio at gmail.com. And check out our Patreon page for early releases and bonus episodes at patreon.com slash dairypublicradio. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.